Welcome to this week's edition of BD Extra. We're here each week bringing you the latest trends from Google and around the market. We'll also feature a guest each week to give you a unique perspective on our new normal. This week, we've got another Tim with us. Yes, two Tims. Tim Sullivan from Myers Research is here to talk about trends he's seeing in the market right now and some predictions for the future. But before we get to our special guest, I have Tim Costello, also very, very special. <laughs> Your unspecial guest. <laughs> uh, my unspecial friend, um, here to share the latest updates on the market oh, and trends. It's boring, boring, what, what are we boring, saying? Do you have boring, anything boring, boring. new and different? Anything. It's just boring. What can I say? Seven weeks, seven right. weeks in a row, uh, the Google National, mm-hmm. BDX Google National Consumer Index has gone up again. So, I mean, it's really kind of unprecedented. In a normal month, we would not see this. You actually, no. you, know, you see puts and takes each week, goes up, goes down, goes up, goes down. You know, seven weeks in a row for it to go up and to the right is really just phenomenal. Uh, now, it is starting to taper off finally. We only saw about a 2% increase this week. Uh, now, week over week, 2% increase is still quite significant. But this 2% increase, we uh, are now 20% above the same interest in traffic levels that we were at a year ago. Which I think is just un, um, it, look, I, unexpected. I, I, gave, I was on a webinar earlier this week, and I went over all this information. And the one thing that builders just couldn't get their hands around is how could it be better? How could there be more demand now than there was a year ago? They, they just didn't believe it. And, you know, the issue is we triangulate this, not only with this index that's been around for 15 years, we then go back to our Google account team and kind of double check with them right. and what's going on. And they have verified all this. We then go look at New Home Source, which, by the way, this week had not only record traffic, but record conversion, which is an, a really interesting issue. So these are not looky-loos. These are not just people out there kind of looking at property. Right, casually. They, no, right? these are people submitting leads, calling builders, uh, engaging with you know the chatbots, uh, et cetera. So these are a very motivated, very engaged consumer. We had, uh, in fact, on New Home Source, we actually achieved a, a record record conversion and record traffic this last week, resulting in uh, a 34% increase in connections over where we were last year the same time. I mean, it's just, it's stunning. Right, right. Well, and it's interesting, and, and this is why it's so exciting this week to have Tim Sullivan on, um, and we'll get to him in a minute. Because he's going to give us like the, the really negative side of the industry or something? He's going he's well, to balance me out this he, time? He will balance you out for sure. <laughs> hey, um, hey, 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 hey. Hey, oh, you're not supposed to be live yet. Yeah, you, know, no, you just hush turn, up there, who mister. Who turned him on already? Oh my gosh, turn that off. Um, but it is pretty interesting because we're seeing that with builder websites. We're seeing that kind of across the board. Across so, everything. So I, I do have to say that this is a national index and we always have to uh, be cognizant of there are, you know, there's 400 building markets roughly across the United States. There there are individual building markets that I am sure have, have not recovered at this rate. We know that because we actually track this on an individual market level mm-hmm. as well. Obviously, in a podcast like that, we can't, we can't go through 400 markets and tell you where each and every one of them is. But on a national level, this is really profound news. The consumers out there, they're interested, they're motivated, they're they're looking for single to detached living. Renters want out of apartments and into more space with backyards. Urban people want into the suburbs, which is positive news for you know most of our builders. Uh, we've got people looking at rural land. Uh, you know, it, you've got people wanting to lock in you know record historically low interest rates because they really feel like this is going to just tr- transform their lives over the next thirty years if they can lock in at these rates. So there are some just tremendous. Um, 
opportunities for builders if they can take advantage of this. You know, the bigger challenge is how long will this last? Mm-hmm. And can you pivot to satisfy <laughs> and connect and actually close this market right now? Absolutely. Well, that is a great segue. I would like to go ahead and introduce our guest, uh, Mr. Tim Sullivan. Tim is the Senior Managing Principal at Myers Research and oversees the advisory group for Myers Research, Metro Study, and Builder Magazine. I don't even know why I'm introducing him. Everybody knows who Tim is. But anyway, for over 30 years, he's been analyzing and valuing real estate opportunities all across the U.S. and Latin America. Many of you know Tim from regular industry updates and speaking engagements. He is one of our industry's brightest thought leaders, and we're excited to have him here with us today. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Tim. And let me say right back to you that both on my behalf and my organization's behalf, we appreciate our friendship and relationship with BDX. You're so important to the work we do in our Zonda database, and you've been great friends of mine personally for the 10 years that I've known you. So thank you for having me aboard, and I love the idea that today we had a tale of two Tims. <laughs> Melissa quite uh, often tells me one Tim is absolutely plenty. plenty. Yeah, very plenty, very plentiful. All right, so clearly Tim S. We just heard from Tim C. That the demand is there and growing, and even more than last year at this time. How does this data stack up and triangulate with your insights with builders that you're working with every day? Well, there's a lot of consistency, but I want to take a step back and uh, have our listeners think about a four-legged table, because there are four things at play that all intersperse, both with the consumer's behavior, with our home builder's behavior, and really just the overall economic situation. And I can summarize it with three F's and an H. Uh, The first one is the facts. And Tim laid out some really important things. And uh, thank you again to BDX. You guys have been sharing what's happening with that online traffic. It definitely shows intent. We like what that shows, and that's a positive. Uh, the second F is fear, because there's the fear of the unknown. You know, the job losses keep me up at night. I worry about that. Uh, but there's the argument that we might see a rebound once we have stay-at-home orders move away and people start to spend money again. The third thing is the future. I'm very positive on the future, but the question is, which future are we talking about? Are we talking about three months down the road, eight months down the road, two years down the road? Because in previous conversations, the three of us have talked a lot about fundamental demand. I believe it's there. Supply is limited. I feel good about that. The last thing is hope. And, you know, hope, while it's not a strategy, it's important for people, in, particularly in our, our industry, where optimism runs high, because if you think about what we do and the noble element of bringing a home to a family, it's becoming even more important when you think about what we face with COVID or, or any of the viruses. So when you put those four things together, I'm going to back the opening that you had very clearly that demand is there. Guys, the thing that I worry about is just the interim between now and as we start to recover. Is that duration a month or two, or is it three or four? Because, Tim, as you were talking about related to backlog, we are burning through the backlog. And thank goodness builders had such a powerful first two and a half months of this year. But the next thing is, can we replace that backlog? If I could wave one magic wand, it would be that. I would bring backlog back, and I would have more you know, when you, Tim, when you're talking about cancellations, it's an important thing, but we also have to get that backlog rebuilt. Back to you guys. Mm, interesting. So, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about what do you think the challenges are right now in building the backlog? If the, if we have demand and we have 20, you know, last year was a great year, right? Last year was the best year. 
basically since the the trough of 2009, right? We've been kind of crawling out every year, building more and more homes. I don't think any builders are complaining about their profits last year. So, you know, if you look at last year, we all go, last year was great. Uh, we started off this year just like out of a cannon. Right? I mean, we are, re- you know, really doing better, 10 to 20% more demand in January and February than we had in the January and February of 2019. Now we're back to, again, even better than we were at the start of the year from a demand perspective. So what do you think is the, are the biggest barriers to creating that backlog when you have so much pent-up consumer demand? That's a great question, Tim, and I think it comes back to one of the legs of the table. It's fear. The 55-plus market, while completely capable of being buyers, and I can identify a couple of places where we're still seeing the 55-plus buyer active, but for the most part, that bio profile being incredibly discretionary, they don't have to buy, but they buy when they want to or when they feel comfortable. They're on the sidelines for the most part right now. Secondly, on the jumbo side of the world, you know, a move up, a luxury buyer, they're also kind of on the sidelines. Uh, the jumbo market is very difficult right now in terms of the underwriting. And once again, that buyer is discretionary, so they are holding back. One of the bright spots has been entry level. And it, I mean, to me, even a surprise because the entry level you would think has been hit the hardest with job layoffs, at least some of the initial job layoffs. But what we're hearing is, and this, this doesn't matter if we're talking about Austin or Charlotte or California, all the markets are seeing a pretty robust entry level activity because of interest rates. But it's really those ends of the, the, the move-up market and the 55-plus that is holding us back. Right. If they're back in the market, I think we start to see an, up, an uptick pretty strong. All right. So what you're saying is, you, you know, like all markets, we, we have to tease apart, first of all, the geographies because the geographies aren't all the same. And I'd love to hear your perspective just on a geographic basis across the United States, what kind of, you know, uh, differences that you're seeing de- geographically. But then you start teasing your market apart from suburban single detached to urban townhome, you know, what we're seeing is there's kind of a, an urban flight going on where there's just less interest in dense urban property and there's more interest in backyards and single family homes where you kind of have your own space. Um, so again, if you're a downtown condo builder, uh, it, it might be a little more challenging right now. Are you seeing any of this kind of urban flight and the stuff that you're looking at? Tim, it's too early to see, I think, the, the massive flight that would align with the intent. And that concept of mobility is, is so important because right now I think we've got an affordability challenge and we've got an availability challenge for people to truly be mobile. You know, think about somebody coming out of New York City and deciding to go to Westchester. Uh, that's not really going to be a decrease in a monthly payment, whether you're renting or for sale. So the, the element of affordability, attainability is going to be important. But I think the awareness of healthy, of separation, of you know, being able not to have, see people in your hallway as you go to touch your doorknob that might have been touched by other people on your floor. I think that's a very real driver. And I think it's also going to bring a stronger pull to the single-family rental market, both truly single-family homes that are rented because those are separated and, yep. and private. Oh, that's, one of, that's one of my favorite markets. Department. That's one of my favorite markets. I've always loved yeah. the single-family, <laughs> single you know, for rent, detached for rent market. Do you think there's going to be an explosion in that market just based off of, you know, apartment renters saying, I still want to rent, but I want, a, I want my own yard, I want my own house, I want more space? Yes, and I think uh, we've seen a robust market really since the recovery because that was the first segment to come out of the recovery with Wall Street funds, REITs, buying up homes that were distressed. 
But I think now there's a, a stronger fundamental reason for the single-family rental to exist. But I also don't want to exclude that detached apartment. It's just, units are smaller, but typically at most there's a shared wall. But you typically have your own entrance, your own front, your own backyard, and it's private and safe. And safe means healthy. Yep. Now, something else I think that's kind of interesting here is how work is being kind of re-engineered uh, by this crisis, by by demand, right? We've all been locked in place, sheltered in place, and we're trying to figure out how to work remotely. And I noticed uh, coming across the wire today that Twitter announced that all jobs in the United States will now be work-at-home jobs permanently. And uh, at the same time, uh, Kramer on Mad Money came out and he said, I see a future of abandoned skyscrapers in every city in the United States, because mm. he just believes that we're going to come out of this and the majority of jobs are now going to be basically locationless where you can live anywhere you want. So, you you know, you gave me that that New York example. I'm working for Twitter in New York. I'm making $150,000. So maybe I have a, a, a mate that's also working or whatever, but I don't have to move to Westchester now. I can move to Indianapolis. I can move to Des Moines. I, I can move to Austin. I can move to San Antonio. I, I can go anywhere now in this environment where employers are going, you can work anywhere. We're fine with this work anywhere mode. And that could fundamentally make every remake every market in America. Suddenly the, the entry-level buyer is completely redefined because two people making $150,000 at Twitter have $300,000 in income. That's not your typical entry-level income home. Right on. And you just hit a bunch of topics. The first of which is where we see the the office environment go away. I'm not as negative as, as Kramer is about that. I think there'll always be a place for convening, getting together. But the concept of us jamming people together and moving from 300 to 200 to 100 square feet per employee, those days are probably over. But I use my own example. We've got 38 different offices in our organization, and we are looking very hard at which offices we no longer need. I'm in an office that's about 4,000 square feet. It's a one-story office, direct entry. It's indoor-outdoor with a large barn door. It actually is kind of the post-COVID ideal because there's fresh air and separation. That kind of office, I think, doesn't go away. The high-rise, I think, can get remade, but I'm a believer that there will still be a need for that core. You bring up a second and really important point, Tim, that I'm a huge believer in, and that is that the future is finally here. 20 years ago, there was concepts about, you know, telecommuting and people only need the hotel for their space, they work from home. Well, we've proven we can do it. And I think what it means for our secondary and tertiary market, a market like a Boise or a Greenville or a San Antonio, those markets that are highly affordable compared to the higher priced markets, they become accessible, attainable, and attractive. That, I think, is going to be one of the coolest realizations that comes out of this post-COVID time where those secondary and tertiary markets become an ideal place to put down roots and raise a family or just to do your work done. Yeah, I mean, the economics of it is so attractive because, uh, you know, a couple coming out of any one of the kind of uh, high-income tech markets, you know, whether it be Bay Area, Boston, New York, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, any of these areas, moving to one of these tertiary markets, if they have a household income, you know, two hundred dollars to $300,000 combined, you're not looking at at entry level homes in these tertiary markets, you're actually looking for not even move up, but but you're looking at the kind of the lower end of the luxury market as your first home, right? In these markets, which is really a, a kind of an astonishing opportunity for, uh, for people. I think it will be very eye opening and very attractive for them. Tim, I agree. I, I love that concept, and and you and I have talked about this before, and that is the difference between a first time buyer and an entry level buyer. We could have first time buyers coming into many of these secondary markets 
from higher price markets like California or New York, and it's going to be their first purchase, but they may be 28, 29, 30 years old. Yep. But use your Twitter example. The person's making $150,000, and they move to San Antonio. They can afford a fantastic three, four, $450,000 home. That puts them into the upper echelon, and oh, by the way, it's their first purchase. Yep. And I differentiate that from the entry level, you know, conventional entry level, which could be a 23, 24-year-old person, first-time home buyer, making 30, 40, 50 grand, or teaming up with a, a co-buyer. So a different element, a nuance there that I think becomes a pretty powerful push for demand in some of these markets. So you'd mentioned a couple things. You talked about um, the 55 plus market because what two things? One, it's kind of the most discretionary of all of our markets because you can put off moving, you know, from a retirement perspective to when it's right for you. And then second, they do the just the age profile. They're probably feeling a little bit more vulnerable right, in this situation and right. uh, and just may not want to engage in home shopping and moving activities, you know, during this time. So that's, you know, that's one market that certainly uh, is going to face some challenges, right, until things settle down a bit. You talked about the move up in the jumbo markets, um, but then there are some interesting plays there as these kind of wealthier urban uh, buyers move into these suburban and tertiary markets. They could fill some of that gap potentially in those move up homes, even though it's their first time purchase, right, for a home. What what other markets do you see, whether they be uh, segments or phys- physical geographies that are under a lot of pressure right now uh, with this crisis? Well, let's think about geographies first. You know, the very first one in the, you know, the center of all of this is certainly New York, New York City specifically and then the boroughs. And that has so much to do with the international relationship that it's had with both Italy and, and China, where there were hotspots first with covid and the fact that there's a great deal of density. If you look at other parts of the country, you know, we've seen flare-ups in San Francisco. Well, there's an urban density. Seattle, there's an urban density. You know Not what? as much in some of the more suburban markets. You know, it's interesting, ahead, if I just interrupt for a second, though, is like we've, in studying, New York, in, studying in New York, you see, um, we, we, you definitely, you know, see the New York, Manhattan, you know, Bronx, the, the, the urban uh, market being challenged. You see an explosion in demand, though, in the commuter markets. You know, Long Island, Westchester, further out, you know, even an hour, two-hour commutes in, into the city. We're, we're seeing, you know, 200 300% increases in demand in some of those markets. Right on. Well, you know, it's my belief the city is not dead. The city is going to be remade. Uh, one of my favorite demographers, Richard Florida, uh, is, you know, he's, he's the guy that uh, pushed out the creative class, the concept of, of smart urbane people that can move quickly, maybe not owning, but rent. His take, and I, I, I kind of abide by this, his take is that the cities will be remade by the young, by the, the uh, call them energetic, the, the ones that aren't bashful about trying something new. You know, I, as much as that conversation about a high rise, I think that will be reinvented. I think our cities are being reinvented. And this may mean, you know, fewer restaurants. It may mean more outdoor restaurants, even in cold weather environments. It may mean a lower population density. But because of the infrastructure that exists, because of the, the natural and cultural elements that exist in so many of our cities, I think there's such a magnet still there that there will be a profile or two of our population that will look there and say, I'm not leaving, particularly if the density of population drops a little bit. I'm going to switch gears on you a little bit. I want to talk about the luxury market because, uh, you know, so many times we talk about, you know, suburban 
uh, builders, entry level builders first move up. And that kind of excludes the luxury builder uh, in, in most parts of the country. So the luxury builders today, you know, have a couple particular challenges in that they, in general, are not as digital as, uh, as, as large, you know, production builders are, or even regional production builders. So while we're seeing all this incredible demand out there online for people looking for real estate, looking for options, studying it themselves, many of the, the luxury markets have always depended on either uh, realtor relationships or in-person relationships right, to get business. And yet at the same time, the, the luxury inventory in the MLS has been the most impacted portion of seeing a reduction in inventory. So people have really pulled luxury homes out of the MLS, and there are very few luxury homes to be had. So in, in part, there's no competition, <laughs> right? But the other problem is they're not as digital. I'm wondering what you've seen in that, that end of the market. Well, on that luxury market, let's bifurcate, you know, maybe a private builder versus public because, you know, Toll is fantastic at the luxury. Taylor Morrison does some pretty good stuff. You know, they really know their stuff. And digitally, they are they're getting they're good and getting to be great. But so the digital thing, I think all builders are being forced on, whether it's public or private. But I think you nailed something very important. You know, when we're talking about the luxury market, there's usually a correlation with that buyer and an age that's 50 or better, we're now starting to talk about people that are a little bit more prone to COVID or at least, you know, are, are susceptible more so than the youth. At least that's what we've learned so far. We'll see how that, that plays out. And the, that buyer has always been very much relationship-driven. So I think your observation on the real relationship is a key one. I don't think that's going away. And, uh, you know, we are human beings. We, we are a... You know, we, we are den-like, we are a cluster, we are family units. That's what, that's what drives us. Relationships drive us. So I think in the high-end market, while we're going to need to get even better on the digital standpoint, I think the best realtors will still be so important because they help navigate the process. They help interpret. They help connect product. So I'm not saying that the realtors won't have pain and won't go through their own type of adjustment. They will. But I think in that high-end market, Tim, the realtor still is so vitally important. So uh, you you have a unique perspective in the industry. You, you talk to hundreds and hundreds of builders. You see thousands of builders. You get to talk all over the place. What are a couple of the most interesting things that you've seen uh, builders do during the crisis, either, either just novel uh, or incredibly productive or surprising to you? You know, can you... Can you point out a couple of examples of the things you've seen builders do that you've just really been uh, proud of or sh- or shocked by? <laughs> well, guys, here's, here's a couple that are top of mind, and they're in no particular order, but it, it comes from the conversations and work we're doing with builders all over the country right now. Here's a small one. One builder in Texas has offered as an incentive to double whatever the government's payment was to this buyer. So if the buyer was receiving a one-time payment of $1,200 or something along those lines, they double it. Just thought that was a creative way to catch uh, a buyer's attention. What surprised me is how many builders have remained vigilant and open during this crisis. And I'll be very specific. All builders that we've talked to shut down their sales offices from the standpoint of you just can't walk in. It's just not possible. But they so quickly pivoted to the online appointments. And uh, we've heard this across the country. The percentage of 
consumers that are keeping their online appointments is now above 80%, which many builders said it used to be 50% or less. So the consumer is responding well to that. Another thing is that I've noticed there's a geographical difference. And without naming which geographies, I will tell you that there's a few geographies that are damn the torpedoes. This COVID thing is not going to stop us. In fact, we think it's, it's a passing fad. And we have other geographies that are behaving as though this thing will never go away. And uh, I, I think this is one of those instances. Well, we've never been in this instance before. But it is an instance where not one size fits all. Uh, the, the leadership of each home building company, both from a national standpoint uh, and a local standpoint, is trying to drive a safe and rational way of reopening at, uh, at the time that's appropriate. But probably the, the most important thing, and I think the thing that has surprised me and our organization the most, has been the capability of builders to continue to sell and produce product in spite of COVID. And, you know, if you had if you'd taken a pause on the 15th of March and looked forward, you might have thought, oh, my God, we are screeching to a halt and there's going to be no homes built. We've certainly slowed down. Suppliers are still out there, but there's been a little hiccup there periodically. But I think the wherewithal of the industry, albeit different ge- geographically, but the wherewithal of the industry of staying with it and connecting with the consumer happened so quickly that was amazing to me. I think, I think that, mm-hmm. of all things, is the biggest surprise. Uh, you know, and we were too. The, the resilience of the industry, how quickly so many, most builders really just rose to the occasion. Now, we did have a few in the fetal position in the corner. <laughs> so I think they've come out at this point. Um, but I, I so agree with you. We just saw people really rise to the occasion and quickly pivot and Everything could be done online, and they were very, very reassuring. So I I couldn't have been more proud of our industry. So I have one more question for you today, Tim, that I like to ask each of our guests that that joins us each week. And what's the silver lining? What what is the silver lining through all of this, you know, challenging time that we're working with? I think there's a number of silver linings. I'd start with many of the builders have responded to it that, holy cow, we have made two years of technological improvement in two months. <laughs> Amen. That is a fan. And by the way, you guys have been my friends for a long time. I've heard both of you say for years, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. Well, builders were finally forced to. They responded. And I'm seeing the changes in real time. It's pretty fantastic. It's amazing. Secondly, and what's, what's fascinating, so- Tim Sullivan, is that it used to be, well, that's going to be a three-year IT initiative that we embark upon. Uh, that's gone out the window. We have figured out how to go super fast. Builders are going super fast. So continue. Sorry. Right on. Well, the second point is product. And while we are not yet, it's only been two months, we're not going to see new products yet. I think if you start from the outside and move in, we're going to see some pretty spectacular adjustments that have to do with the healthy home, you know, whether it's filtration systems, whether it's new surfaces, whether it's antibacterial element on walls. But I think we're also going to see a shift, even in the same square footage, in how space is used. I'm a big believer that a two-car garage could become a one-car garage and that extra-car garage becomes the home office. Our second, third, and fourth bedrooms become very flexible for spaces to be used for family events, for offices, using Murphy beds, and just a a better use of space. 
and even kitchens. I can see kitchens shifting a little bit. Picture being able to move or rotate part of your island so that you can make it a larger office or desk area. I think there's going to be some really creative elements there. And the third thing, and most builders will talk about this, even though there's been some level of job loss, every builder I talk to is realizing who their key players are and they're, they're clustering around them. Whether it's a warranty person or a salesperson or a, one of their division presidents who gets this and is, is stepping up as a leader, the people part of this is so vital because ultimately the buck stops with us. And the decisions that are being made by home builders, land developers, capital sources, by the people that are willing to be open-minded, shift, pivot, and adjust, they're the ones that are going to come out of this the fastest and the strongest. And I've seen a lot of companies do that. I'm very impressed, and it gives me heart. Oh, that's well, so well said. I, I got a question just on a personal note, since you've been such a great friend uh, to us for so, such a long period of time. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell the audience what you're doing to stay sane during this shelter-in-place. You know, are you exercising? Have you learned to speak Spanish? Have you, you know, what, 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 what do you have you done to keep yourself sane? And, and then uh, as a follow-up, have you read any interesting and noteworthy books, whether they are a guilty pleasure or something that has been really insightful to you during this time? From the sane side, I'm going to be extremely honest with you that prior to COVID, I was biking and working out like a fiend. That fell by the wayside. So I have done a very poor job of taking care of myself because what I've also found out with COVID is that since we are in one place at a time, for me, I've got two places, which I'll address in a second, but being one place at a time, we're high, even more accessible. I used to be on planes 200,000 miles a year. <laughs> yes. During that time, I could catch up on emails. I can't do it anymore. Nope. So I feel like I'm working even more. That's okay. Don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> But the, the thing that I think has kept me sane on three levels is, one, I'm able to come into my office because it's down the street from my house. No one else is here. And I've been able to work in my office, which gives me a break. That's been beautiful. Secondly, I've learned more about wine. And I'm a, a huge wine fan. I've learned more by sampling it. The only way to truly learn about it. And the third thing is I have been reading, Tim. And I read a huge amount of fiction. I call it TV for the mind. And I just finished uh, Nelson DeMille's newest book called The Deserter. And took me away to a, a world completely separate. Takes place in the Colombian jungles. It's this, this takeaway and this, this uh, intrigue with the Colombian government, the U.S. government, potential takeover. Just completely cleared, cleared my mind. But that's really ultimately how I'm doing it. And uh, the other part of it, I'll add one thing, is I can always do this better, but I'm trying to stay in contact with our team because being separate is more difficult to keep those contacts going. And we have a bunch of internal efforts that we're, we're trying to complete every week so that everybody knows what's happening and everybody has a little bit of insight. It takes away some of the, the, the worry about what's happening now in this world and in the economy. Well, that is so great. Tim, those are some awesome silver linings and some personal tips. I I'm going to embrace that wine thing. I think that is an excellent tip. Oh, you've been very good it at works. whining for years. Yes. It works. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I, let me tell you, she ooh. can she can whine like nobody else, Tim. No. <laughs> and, and it's really it's really accelerating in these times, I must say. I must say. Tim Sullivan, it has been such a pleasure to have you with us today and just share your insights and give us, you know, give us some facts, but also give us uh, great hope. So it's really great to connect with you. And thanks for being with us. Melissa and Tim, my pleasure. I'm there for you always. Thank you guys for everything, everything you do. You're great partners. Take care, guys. 
All right, we'll see everybody. Well, we'll hear everybody next week, same time at BD Extra. Stay safe and sane.